no, 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 Everybody, Norm over here, and I've got the great Joe Bonamassa, my dear, dear friend, practically family member. I want you to get to know Joe on a personal basis, hear some of his music, hear what he's doing lately, and I'm so honored to have you, the great Joe Bonamassa. Everybody, Norm over here, and welcome to the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Um, I'm here with my good friend, who I always try to refer to as my nephew. I've known <laughs> Joe Bonamassa since he was 12 years old, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. And I love the guy. I love his family. I think he's the greatest blues guitar player and rock and blues guitar player that ever lived at this point. And I'm not saying this. No, no, no. I mean it. I've heard you. And I don't think there's anybody that could really. Can you hear blushing on a podcast? I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I mean, the guy, he can prove it. And if you go see him live, he does it every time he plays live. So it's just astounding. The band is great. And my buddy Nick Dias over here. So is my sidekick. Hi. I've never actually heard blushing on a podcast before, but I just heard it then. Man, you know, you know. Speaking of that, this this uh, notion of of uh, a lot of times now, people go come up to me just randomly and say, "I just I just saw your uncle." I'm like, "Who?" Norm. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, "Uncle I'm like, Norm." I go, yeah, we're, "We're theoretically related, but but uh, yeah, it's not a blood uh, relative." But, but exactly, I, it's close. I've known him for so long. So long, Joe. How did I meet you? Tell tell the story real quick because it's kind of cool. I came out here around 1990 to do a show on ABC television. It was called Into the Night with Rick Dees. And for those not familiar with Rick Dees, Rick Dees is a very famous radio personality, and they gave him a late-night um, talk show. And the house band was Billy Vera and the Beaters. Ooh. Cool band. I know Billy. He's yeah. Great. And part of this thing, they, they brought me out to be part of a skit, which was somehow Rick Dees was hard up for a guitar player, and there was no quote-unquote guitar players (laughs) so they had to hire a kid though they had to go into the audience and everybody raised their hand who wanted their shot on television of course they picked me and they had my guitar there and we did this rousing version of johnny be good and a couple things the first there was a lot of first on that trip first time to california first time in los angeles first time I, i i figured out what what union scale was so i got 589 dollars for my appearance, because I spoke a word and I gave, they gave me more. That's why I'm chatty, especially on TV. <laughs> there you go. And it was the first time we did the guitar shops, and and we we were told you have if you're going to go to any guitar shop in town, you have to go out to I believe you you were in a different location, Reseda. Reseda. Yeah. 
And we went out to Reseda and we went to Norm's Rare Guitars for the very first time. And me being a kid full of ego and nothing's changed in 30 years, <laughs> um, somehow we had 8x10s with us. Little smoking Joe Bonamassa. Smoking Joe. I thing. still have that we, picture yeah. that you signed. It's in the and store. And I signed a picture to you. And it was just it was just one of the things, like, you know, I was from upstate New York and we had a couple local music shops, but I never I never saw a, a black, you know, the black Telly or any of this stuff. You know, I was so into tweed amps, I was so into fender strats. And Gibson, old Gibson, Les Pauls. I mean, and that, nothing... li- that little store, they were just piled up in piles. Right, they were piles. Yeah. And and it, it was like this, and you were very generous. I remember very generous because I'm just a kid, you know, and I'm poking around very expensive guitars. They were expensive back then. Oh. And, and and they've never been cheap. And <laughs> you were just like, yes, pay whatever you want. And it was the first, it was the first experience I had, actually a tactile experience that I had playing the stuff. And, and... <laughs> Uh, uh, little, little, I know that those those formative years and that experience coming here would subsequently cost me millions and millions and millions. <laughs> oh, and let's not exaggerate <laughs> now. Yeah, well, no, maybe I mean, not. <laughs> but, but it's but you know, I mean, it, that's where well, one of the things I always like about your videos that you do at the store is you're you're happy to hand a, a six figure guitar to a twelve year old kid because what it does is it plants. That, that seed in them go and you go I want to be around this I want to I want to you know and it's just the guitar and they they're playing it and I'm just here to tell you uh, 30 years later you remember those those moments and it seems very it just seems like matter of fact at the time but at least for a guy like me the fact that I was able to play them and plug them into something it, it, it planted the seed that I'm still operating the same way today right and that was actually something that just happened off camera we were talking about the fact that you will take out your bursts and play them in open water in all oh, kinds of wait, weather I conditions. Gotta, I got to tell this story. Yeah, I go, go on the Joe Bonamassa Blues Cruise, and <laughs> um, and Joe plays out on stage, middle of the ocean. It's one of the most beautiful experiences ever. It really is, and you always manage to have some of the greatest talent along with you on that. There's like yeah. 20 acts. Every one of them is fantastic because you have your finger on all of it. But in the meantime, we're standing outside and under the stars and the boat's rocking a bit. Mm-hmm. And Joe's playing a Sunburst Les Paul. You know, I was playing probably, Spot. Yeah. Spot. Probably yeah. a quarter of a million or more. Yeah. yeah. So it starts to rain. <laughs> and I'm looking at Joe and I'm going, I can't believe he's still playing this guitar. <laughs> were, were you nuts? And uh, Joe did the whole set and with, with the guitar – and he came off, and I was standing by the side of the stage. I said, Joe, are you crazy? You're playing a real sunburst less ball in the rain. And Joe goes, see all these people? They paid to see me. I want to give them the best that I That's, got. Absolutely. Right, that yeah. And, you know, I was monitoring that because Mike had the spare. And it, was, it wasn't like a – it was – it wasn't pouring. It was kind of just sprinkling as it does in in the in the on sometimes on these cruises, and it was it was one. Of, I just I kept looking down and you see a few water droplets and it's being like that's fine. It, one of the things about carrying old guitars on the road is, you know, we're never haphazard or reckless with them, but you also can't. You have to play them. They can't play you. 
Yeah. You know, you can't look down and go, oh, my God. You know, I remember the first the very first Sunburst Les Paul I, I, I bought. I I mean, it was, I thought it was crazy. I just was. Uh, I, and I have this thing. And and my friend Elliot let me pay it off on time. I'm like, I'm absolutely nuts. And somebody told me, said, hey, listen, you know, I know I see you're playing that. But every scratch that you put on the guitar takes a thousand dollars from the value. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. And then I look down and I go. If I put 165 scratches on this guitar, is it worth free? Is it is it worth nothing? You know. And then I and then I said, you know what? I've never broken a reissue. I've never really scratched. I'm 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 kind of easy on guitars in the sense I don't I don't. You're not going to start mistreating. I go. I haven't mistreated the stuff I used to play. Why would I start mistreating him now? And it 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 totally relaxed me because up until that point. I felt that the burst was, or that the guitar itself was playing me and I wasn't playing it. Yeah. And then once you get your head around it, like, you know, there's a guitar I showed you today I bought from Martha Reed. Gorgeous. Martha Reeves? Mar- Martha, no, no, oh, no. Martha Reed. And, yeah. and the guitar, you know, I showed you today. Now, that's a guitar as a responsible collector. That doesn't need to see any road use. The color is perfect. It's, it's generally mint minus condition. There's only one little ding on it. And... Like if I brought that out and wore the studded belt and and you know, <laughs> then the whole concept of custodianship gets thrown out the window. You yeah. know, and it's like I don't have that ego as a player to go. Well, it's my guitar; I can do whatever I want. I I have I have a responsibility when you agree to buy something that preserved to hopefully the next generation to have it keep it in that condition. Keep it in that condition. Yeah. Now, do I enjoy it? Will I play it in the studio? Absolutely. Will I mess around with it at home. Absolutely. But as far as it, it that, that doesn't need to be played. There's well, other that's, guitars. That's we can the thing. Get you straddle both worlds because you are a collector, but you're a player as well. And, you know, like you yeah. said, your audience deserves to hear the, these fantastic guitars that you there's, get to caretake. There's for a, a few guitars I'm scared of. Like, like, like I, I don't even break, break them out. The Black Burst, which is the factory black 60 standard. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the brown. 55 Les Paul that was made for uh, CMI in Chicago for a trade show. And it's listed in the ledger as as, as uh, Viceroy Brown or there's one that was listed. It was five guitars they made, Copper Mist. So it's either the Copper Mist one or the Viceroy wow. Brown. And the the one that you wouldn't go, okay, those are those are one-off custom color Gibsons, which are rare. The other guitar that, that I cannot, I just, I'm scared of it because it's so mint and perfect is the other guitar that I bought from you the day I got Amos. Yep. Which is a 1966 Tuxedo Fender Telecaster, Olympic white with black binding. And every time I break that thing out, because it's beautiful, I just find myself, I I get up tight and nervous because it's so (laughs) mint and it's so rare to find those. And I just put it back in the case. I'm literally scared of the guitar. And not a lot of people know that there's a famous picture now of, of... I'm I'm sitting there. It was the day, a couple days after we played the Greek with the Three Kings tour, and we went out to your your secret stash, and we got Amos. And there's a there's another case. Everybody always asks, what's in the other case? And it's that tuxedo. Yeah, the telly. And because I figure you're like, it was one of those moments. Like, what's in here? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's a tuxedo. Towel. I'm like, great. You know, and it was one of those days. It was just you know, so those are the three that I'm. I'm fearful of, you know, yeah. and then some of the mint stuff I don't really play a lot. But, you know, I, I bring the Amos goes on the road, bring the well, real well, stuff. Well, out of your collection, what percentage would you call mint? I would say at this point, 85, wow. 90. Yeah. 
He's that, a connoisseur. He's got very good taste. I, he's I, buying art. I, I, I basically have 35 what I would call in uh, road guitars in rotation. Yeah. It's a Whitman sampler of strats, tellies, 335s. You have enough Paul. to draw on to keep you Yeah, alive. and what I try to do is I try to rotate in and out every tour um just so the fans get a you know yeah. get a different show I mean, they they love to see the skinner and burst probably keep yourself interested as well yeah right? and, and it brings <laughs> something else on you they love to see the skinner burst uh, the fans yeah. like a guitar now uh uh johnny b which is a 60 less paul that has a plaque that says johnny b John, on it. the johnny b my favorite was... question about that guitar is how did, how'd you get the name johnny b i'm like it's, it says it right on the guitar <laughs> man and it's like so anyway um so i have about 35 out of the 400 guitars that i have approximately 400 um i have 35 in rotation and i have a i would say 85 to 90 percent of it is is what i would consider um a mint and now wow. but then here's the other thing nick is there's definitions of the word mint, mint. there's yeah. norm mint which yeah. means new yeah then there's Time other capsule. people's definition of mint and they go, it's mint for its age. I'm like, no, 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 Yeah, Mint is mint. And it's one of those things where it's like everybody grades their guitars yeah. differently. I tend to like downgrade my guitars in the sense just in my, for my own personal mind. We do too. Yes. Because it's if, if on a rare occasion something I, I have to – I sell off a few just to fund behavior like I showed you because <laughs> it's a lot of money for these things. Um, I always – Tell people they 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 always I always say this is it's a it's an eight point five yeah. and they'll go and they get it it's oh, a lot cleaner than I thought I go that's my eight point five uh huh yeah, yeah that's, others, that's what we it'll be nine point five well yeah. then they're not disappointed they're not disappointed and and one of the things about guitar collecting collecting of anything is is I had an a, a instance where I I rushed in and I bought what I thought was an original Sparkle P bass. And I remember speaking to you about it, but we're trying to authenticate photos and blah, blah, And I had it in hand, and I don't know much about sparkle finishes. Yeah. And it's very – unless you have a picture of an old man in black and white, it's it's dicey. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember – so I paid paid good money for this thing. And I found – I took it down to Songbird's Museum, which they have a lot of sparkle stuff. I said, Mm -hmm. well, where are you going to go see 10, 15 of them at the same time? These guys got them. So I went down and I showed Dave Davidson, um, and I said, "Dave, you're not going to hurt my feelings either way." I said, "I said, do I have a fifteen thousand dollar base or do I have a five thousand dollar base?" <laughs> and he goes, "Joe, let me buy you lunch, <laughs> and, and we can talk about your five thousand dollar base." And I go, "Fair enough." Yeah. So I was going to hang it on the wall, and I was like, "Lesson learned." I hung it on the wall in Nashville. And I'm looking at it, and it's like the telltale heart. That's all I can think about is this damn bass. Take it off the wall, stick it in the case, put it in the closet. And then I go, what am I going to do with a bass? I'm not a bass player. So I sold the bass to a guy, and I the first the first thing I said, refin. It's an old refinish. And I kept, kept repeating, that word. repeating the narrative, it's a refinish, refinish. And he goes, oh, I think it's right. I go, it's a refinish. Tell yourself now because you're going to find out later. Yeah. So he bought it, and now he loves it because he has he bought it for what it is, and he can look at it and he can reconcile it, and he you know and and he knows what he bought. When I the problem when I had with it was 
knowing that I made you a mistake. You bought it as this. And it... <laughs> well, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I rarely make mistakes because I'm, I'm a pretty shrewd buyer and I know what I'm looking I know an old guitar when I see Sparkle's one. Sparkle's difficult. It's difficult. And yeah. I don't think anybody, dealer or collector, gets out of this thing alive without making a few mistakes. Oh, yeah. it, 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 and that was one. Of, but the point of the, the, the story was is everything in my collection has a good vibe about it. I right. never argued over price. I never, you know, I certainly, what I don't, you know, if somebody offers me a guitar for $250 and it's worth 25 grand, they're going to get a fair price because yeah. I, I can't have that stuff in the collection you knowing wanna, that I, I ripped somebody off. You don't want it in your karma bank. And, and one of the things is, 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 is if you do it with the right intentions, you can look at your collection and be proud of it. And, yeah. and you just, you can pull it out and show people and go, this has got a great story behind it. You know, I remember... A story, not to be long-winded, but of a guy who, who a fan of mine in in Rockford, Illinois, drove from Iowa. He was going to sell me his uncle's lap steel, and I said, "Okay, six hundred bucks for the lap steel, is an old Fender thing with a tweed case. I love him, you know." Yeah. And he shows up at four thirty, and my tour manager Clay says, "Hey, um, your friend is here with the lap steel, and he's got a buddy." I'm like, "Okay, come downstairs." And the buddy was holding on to the quote unquote speaker, which was a museum grade with the tag still on it, Fender Tweed Deluxe that went with the lap. <laughs> went with the lap. Much in set, yeah. And he goes, I figured I'd, I, I, I had the speaker. I figured I'd throw it in. I said, time out. <laughs> so long story short, he so got, you bought them lunch. <laughs> he, he got thirty five hundred dollars for his speaker, and he threw in the last that he was going to. There Perfect. you go. That so makes that, a good deal. In this way, I look at I can look at the and go, I didn't rip the guy off. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and you'll, be, you'll be happy about it every time you see it, as Everybody opposed wins, to being you know? weird. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since we're talking about this geeky stuff with guitars, I just want to bring up a few other things. Um, I'm friendly with your mom and dad, yeah. and I love your family. And your dad had a guitar store yeah. in Utica. He did. That was like well, a version of my store. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, it was a, a used and a vintage shop. And... Um, when he started the first store, he had, he had it twice. When he started the first store, um, it was a, in a time where things would show up. Things would walk in the front door. Things would show up in the penny saver or the swap yeah. sheet. And you could stock a store going to a guitar show uh, with $10,000. Yeah. You could fill up your, oh, yeah. your well, truck with $10,000. I'm old enough to remember was, was those your, days. <laughs> yeah. your, was your dad a pro musician before he did this? Or? He, was a, he was a semi-pro weekend uh, player. You know, yeah. I had bands and whatever, and he worked, you know, day job. And then when I had my career started, he kind of like, you know, had to kind of, you know, kind of fork in the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he had the guitar shop. And it was one of those things where you like, I remember the the Joe Nitzik strat. Joe Nitzik was in his 90s. And in 1954, he went to Frigetta's Music in Utica, New York, mm. and bought the first Fender strat ever brought to Utica, to New York. It was a brand new, new guitar. Wow. He bought it new, and it walked in the front door of my father's shop. And if my father offered him $500, he would have had the guitar. Yeah. The fact that he offered him $1,500 told, oh, told Joe that, and at that point in time, we're talking about a guitar that would be worth $7,500, eight grand. What, what era are we talking about? Early 90s. Okay. Early 90s. And so I'm like, okay. So I watched the whole thing go down. And Joe, in his 90s, take the guitar and and go back to his house. And back in those days, you had a phone book. Mm-hmm. Six months later, 
call him up. I go, Mr. Nitzik, would you, would you, I'm not, I'm a kid. Would you sell the guitar? No, I'm really not. Finally, I just, I just drove over and knocked on the front door. Now in 2019, <laughs> that would probably get you shot. 1991, it was a little, little bit more tame in the town. Knocked on the door. I go, Mr. Nitzik, I really want your guitar because it was beautiful. It was, mm-hmm. and I never owned a maple neck strap. And, um, so I go, listen, I have $4,500 on me, all the money in the world. And he lets me in the front door and I go, good sign. And he goes out to the garage. He goes, I just need to get a hand. Uh, can you give me a hand getting the guitar? In the six months since, since we'd seen the guitar, he took it back and he put it in the garage and he stacked his tires from his car. on top of the <laughs> So he moved the tires Ugh. and he then called his brother because he couldn't count the money, couldn't see very well. Called his brother and I sat there for like three hours and his brother and they started singing and playing like like old timey yeah. like polka music. And I'm sitting there, I'm I'm like, okay, this is this is this is uh, weird this now. is getting weirder by the minute. <laughs> and he finally goes, if you're gonna give that guitar a good home, you can have it. So I gave him the money and I walked out I walked out the door. And what that started was that was the uh, the it was that was the original guitar safari. Wow. Because I didn't buy the guitar that day. I bought the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what, and that's what I love and about this. You've been collecting stuff. stories ever I, I, since. I right? got one for you talking about I, 54 strats mm-hmm. though. That, I, that, okay. I mean, you know, and I've never used this line again. I was going to say just to wrap that up. I do love that he nicknames all his great guitars and there's always a story with your stuff. Right? Always a story. Yeah. So tell yours, Nick. So this guy comes into my store and he's got a minty 54 Strat. Now this was probably in the late 70s or early 80s. And um, as soon as he walked in, I looked at the guitar and I kind of was like drooling. And I just said, I've got to have this thing. At the time, probably the best one in the world would have went for 6500 bucks. Right. And uh, I just said, I'm just going to punish myself. What the hell? And I offered him 7500 bucks. Right. Pay it forward. Right. And the guy said to me. Seventy five hundred bucks. Some guy offered me seventy five hundred bucks just for the neck, right. and so I had to use this line, which cost me that guitar. Right. I never got it, but I said, "You know the guy that offered you seventy five hundred for the neck? That was the second stupidest guy in the world. You know the first stupidest guy is you for not taking it." Of course, I didn't get the guitar, but uh, you know, yeah, you were out at hello. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I yeah, I you knew I wasn't going to get anywhere. And I could have taken his number and maybe called him back, but I thought that was the end of that. But anyhow, I couldn't resist because, I mean, I've had that in the back of my head. A friend of mine told me that a long time ago. My buddy Dan Duran said, uh, you know, that's the second stupidest guy and you're the first. I had to say that to him. And then I kind of went, boy, am I – I'm probably the stupidest guy. At least the third. Yeah, I'm right (laughs) up in there. Well, you know, one of my favorite lines um, because I always tell people – like, you know, because people know I collect stuff. I have a lot of lot of amps, a lot of guitars, more than I ever knew in a lifetime. And there are some people that that fancy themselves wheeler dealers. And they mm-hmm. I always tell them, if you're going to come poking around the museum, be prepared to set a record. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's a fine line between like, I'm, I'd be crazy to turn this down. Yeah. And, you know, because one of the things is, is that, you know, my stuff comes in sets, you know, the tweed amps, it's probably, it's not probably, it's, it, it's the best assembly of mint, it was 65 yeah. mint 
narrow panel tweed amps. Wow. And the whole set. And I've then, seen some of those ridiculous. And, and I the, second that. And, and some of them you got for me. And some yeah. I got for you. There's actually one in the store that needs rescuing. <laughs> um, but but what I'm saying is is the thing about it is when you're when you go, you might you know like uh, uh, if you're going to sell something to someone now because I'm not a guitar dealer, you I go I have to vet you in the sense that I want to make sure that a this thing doesn't end up on eBay or or b you're actually going to take care of it and oh. not just throw it in a pile and because it's my job to preserve. This thing. You're the custodian. Yeah. You're the custodian. And, and I've done that for a while. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw out a number and they're like, wow. And I go, well, I pay too much and you can too. <laughs> I know that line as well. No, you can so, too. All right. I just want to say we're going to take a little bit of a break right now. But we've been talking about all this geeky stuff with guitars. But I want to talk to Joe about Joe as a person because I know Joe. And I just want to tell you folks a little bit about Joe. And what kind of guy he really is and all that. So, uh, Joe, play just a taste to get us out, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Stephanie from Norman's Rare Guitars, the podcast. And I'm here with everybody else to announce our special winner from the guitar giveaway contest. First off, thank you all so much for your attention to this podcast and for entering to win this guitar. It has been truly remarkable, the number of people that were interested and that have been supporting us, and we couldn't be more excited. So without any further delay, the winner of the guitar for the guitar giveaway with Norman's Rare Guitars is Molly Montgomery. Congratulations, Molly. You won this beautiful Fender acoustic electric guitar. We'll contact you for shipping info. Thanks again. the great Joe Bonamassa. I'm here with my buddy Nick Dias and Joe. And I just want to talk a little bit about Joe himself because, I mean, I've known Joe for so many years. And again, I've told you about his playing, what I think. And I'm not blowing smoke. I really do believe he's just an unbelievable player, possibly the greatest that ever lived. And uh, But we won't no, go there. No, no, no. But, but as a person, <laughs> I just want to tell people um, what kind of guy Joe is. Um, Joe knows that I'm involved with a place called the Midnight Mission. That's right. And it's very dear to my heart, and uh, it's helping the homeless. And Joe and I and Nick all know that musicians are people that could be one step away from being homeless, whether it's drugs, alcohol, bad financial decisions. There's so many Goes ways. The creativity, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, when I asked Joe, I mentioned to him, uh, actually, you were with my buddy Richie Sambor in Barcelona. We'll That's talk right. about that yeah. in a minute. But uh, the first guy that I asked, to play for the Midnight Mission was Richie Sambora. And I you know, I went down uh, one year and I brought a bunch of toys to the kids. And uh, one of the guys, Orlando Ward, who was a pro basketball player who ran into some hard times and became a uh, uh, 
a patient or uh, a person from the Midnight Mission ended up working for the Midnight Mission, Orlando said, why don't you go in there and hand out these toys? And I was so moved, and it really tore me up that kids had to come down to get a hot meal and a free toy on Christmas Day. In, in a city that's um, probably one of the most wealthy places the you richest. could ever— yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, we've, we've done these gigs for the mm-hmm. Midnight Mission, and I always believe that charity starts at home. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, I've been a Los Angelino for 17 years. And, you know, it's, it's, you know we, on our cruises, we, we do a lot. We raise a lot of money for the this foundation. With your foundation. And, right. and, and that gives, we give away instruments and we give away this stuff to schools. This is keeping the blues alive, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but truth be told, you know, when, all of, when you take the suit off and the sunglasses and you just strip away, I'm, I'm, I'm a resident. You know, and what you guys do with the Midnight Mission here is is, is fantastic in a sense because you know it's it, you could see where you you know we'll, we'll do a concert or you donate some money, it, dollar for dollar goes right it, directly to the people who need it. And that's, Every ninety six cents is a here. balanced meal for the homeless because they buy the food in bulk. Yeah, and um, they serve over a million meals a year, and they food and clothe and rehabilitate people. But uh, I was saying in this, uh, you know. What happened was after I gave out the toys, the first person I went to, and is one of my best friends, and he's also one of the great guys, uh, was Richie Sambora. And I said to Richie, I said, you know, and at the time he was playing with Bon Jovi, and I knew he was very, very busy. And I said, Richie, what would you think about uh, doing a gig, you know, to raise some money for the homeless for the Midnight Mission? And I was waiting for Richie to go, you know, I'm so busy. I'd love to do it, but I can't do it. And Richie was immediately like... Yeah, let's do it, man. We could we could raise a lot of money for the homeless. And I was kind of thrown back. I went, really? Yeah. He said, yeah, man, let's do it. So I talked to some of my other friends who are my customers, Jackson Brown, Los Lobos, um, the Zen Cruisers, which is the late Doug Figer and Elliot yeah. Easton, who has done one of our podcasts. Um, and... Um, yeah, and Lawrence Druber and his daughter, Ilse. Um, and, you know, we felt like maybe we could make a difference. I mean, you can't really attack the entire problem, but at least we're doing something. At least you're doing that something. Was, that was the first show you did, right, in Malibu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. And, you know, it's one of those things where you just go, well, if, if you know, if anything – I always say anything either worth doing is not easy. And it has mm-hmm. to start somewhere. It has to, yeah. you, you have to start with ninety six cents. You know what I mean? And and and, and the one of the things is it, for us to play a gig or or anybody to do a gig. It's what we do anyway. You know, and the fact that it and it it directly it directly goes to people who need it. And and one of the most moving things was um, we 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 had this uh, the midnight mission put on this this event, and we went there and um, the people who got up that they had helped and spoke. Mm-hmm. So eloquently about being at the very bottom, and so movingly, and yeah. and and rising up, and and getting themselves out of this out of this situation, and they and they couldn't have done that without at least you know some, some kind help. of help. It's it's, yeah. it's basically a, a social tourniquet. You know, it, yeah. you have to stop the bleeding. You have to you have to stop the spiral. Yeah, you know, to bottom out so you can rise up again. And it, and it's and it and it's and it was so moving. I just remember being so inspired by. The simplest things. And you just go, you just, one of the things I, I took from that evening was, you don't have any real problems, Joe Bonamassa. You don't have any real problems. The right. things you get spun up about, whether, you know, whether they're doing X, Y, or Z. And, and you know, to, to me, it's the end of the world because I'm Italian and, and 
you know, fire. <laughs> you don't have any real problems, you know, and, and, and it's perspective building in, 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 the, in the truest sense. Everything's perspective, but I think if, if, if it's someone that's in a position where you are able to help and you can do that, I think it's good for everybody all around, especially everybody musicians, wins. because... Right. You know, if you look at the you're, gigs... You're put here to play music. The yep. people that pay money to, that goes to feed the people are there to listen to music. It's a beautiful big circle, really. The, best, the best one was Donnie Bond. Um, for for those who, who he's a friend of ours, very generously donates to Midnight Mission. The best the best Midnight Mission event though was Donnie Bame. Donnie Bame. Donnie Bame. Bame. Sorry, I haven't mislabeled in my phone. And um, <laughs> and he's a great guy. And we we did this uh, a gig at his house. Yeah. And it was with uh, Rick Vito. And there was an auction. It was great. And Rick and Rick, had donated, Rick had donated. Rick had donated. A guitar, a reverend guitar, yeah. right. signature uh, his model. signature model, and they were auctioning it off for for the charity. And it and I I don't know the the, the bidding kind of stalled. Next thing you know, Donnie grabs the mic and and he and he calls out his richest friend by name <laughs> from the stage, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. going, "You're not leaving this house until you pony up." <laughs> I'm not talking yeah. to you. You and he he started pointing, at and I think he got like. It went from like three thousand bucks to forty grand, like yeah. in a minute. And I go, "You are the greatest auctioneer of all time." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, he yeah, knew who he, his his audience was. He was pointing he sure right did. at the people. And, yeah. so, and, and that was the I I will always right. remember that. I go, it, it was at the eleven. They were about to go. They were about to say sold. He goes, "We're not doing this. You, yeah. you, yeah. you." It was great. It was a and it, and again, it was like you know that forty grand. Is or whatever was raised that night. I mean, it was it, forty thousand meals, meals yeah. to homeless a, people. Yeah, you know. So well done, um, Donnie. So well done. yeah, so yeah. that was really cool. And you know, I've been so blessed to know so many of these guys that really, it, you know, some people can kind of look at a problem and pretend like it's not there. But you know, when you see people actually stepping up and doing something, I mean, again, whatever little thing that you could do, that's one person that you could help. Or that's ten people, or forty thousand people that you yeah. could help. I think what, one of the, one of the, not not to sound overly pontificus, is that a word? Um, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> um, is what, the what new di dictionary yeah, yeah. for two thousand nineteen? One of the one of the one of the things I think is lacking in society, just in general, is the concept of selflessness. Mm -hmm. Is is giving rather than receiving. We live in a very just by the nature of technology and our phones and our it's easy to to kind of collapse into your own little bubble and the only things that matter to you are the things that either inconvenience you or or give you that that dopamine shot when you look at your instagram likes okay it's this concept of selflessness is is giving back you to people that need it and yeah. actually need it and actually appreciate it. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a it's something that's a little bit lost and you you're starting to see less and less of it. So, you know, anytime I can be involved in giving back, you know, I'm 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 a blues guitar player with a wonky last name and a questionable <laughs> questionable chin. Okay. So so at the end of the day, I mean I've I've done very well in, in, in this life playing music that I love and having a great fan base that's gone with me, but but it's not lost on me how how incredibly lucky i am to be in this position and and i'm grateful and and like you said you're one twist and turn away in your early 20s from making the wrong decision yeah in your Absolutely. life a couple and of you, bad could, days you, you could be in that you could be on the other side of the line not handing out toys pretty easily yeah yeah you could it, it's it's 
it's there's there's a, only a couple of chess moves away from from utter devastation and it's it's not lost well, there's been yeah. forks in the road for me and for everybody, everybody else where one it. wrong move and it's a whole different story absolutely it's a it's, giant fork up when we're lost that's yeah. right so you know hey. i i just wanted oh i'm sorry no it's all right go on. I, I just wanted you to know what kind of guy joe is because i mean to me being a great musician is fantastic but being a great person a hundred years from now you know We'll see what anything means, but, you know, Joe is very approachable. People can come up to Joe and talk to him and say, hey, Joe, I'm a big fan. And, you know, I always see Joe, you know, taking pictures with people and signing an autograph or talking to people. And, you know, you should be grateful that people actually want that from you. Absolutely. I, I, especially if I'm in your store and somebody asks me for a picture. or I've never or, seen you or, refuse. Yeah. Or, or, or um, autograph a CD and chances are I'm either holding a guitar case or an amp, and I make the direct correlation. I didn't pay for this for this amp. Well, I've seen you do the that. Fans paid for it because they buy the records and they buy the. They, I've seen you do money. that with a, a teenager that was actually trying a guitar out next door in our store, and uh, and this kid sort of looking at Joe and looking around and going, "What do I do?" And Joe goes, took, "Took the guitar from him, played some amazing lick." And it back and said, "Yeah, that sounds good. You should buy that. You should buy it. <laughs> I would, I would be good on the sales floor. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you would. I'm an old guitar dealer from way back. My you, father raised me, right. and and that's my default position. I, I'll come work for Norm if this my career ends. Um, but but you, you make well, the jobs open. Good. I don't know if I can afford you, but the jobs <laughs> open. Well, one of one of the things about um, one of the things about guitar buying is is I, I in, in the industry in general. It's the it's the search for the holy grail. It's the search Whoa. of a, if I only had this, or if I only had that, if I only had this. And what 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 so a lot of times what a lot of people don't realize is that is is if I handed this guitar to Eric Clapton, he would sound like Eric Clapton. If yeah. I handed this guitar to you, you'd sound like you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but what I'm saying is 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 the the sound and the tone and the the, the it's the player it starts within yeah and and these are these are conduits and tools like like you need a like everybody should have a Fender Strat in their arsenal if they're an electric guitar player everybody yeah. should have a Tele everybody should have a Les Paul thing that's a three thirty five thing yeah. an arch top thing because though because when a carpenter needs a hammer a Phillips head screwdriver a, a flathead screwdriver yeah. um a, a saw and and that that's the direct correlation. So yeah. you know that's how you get the finished product. But but we we deal in the addiction business. Yeah. Okay. We we're in the addiction business. I'm, I'm the guitar addict, and you're servicing the guitar addict. And that the thing is, you know, you don't need all this stuff, but it's great. It's to nice have. to have it. And yeah. there's always that question of, uh, you know, I see this with people who go, if only I had that '57 Strat, I'd sound fantastic. I'd sound like Eric Clapton. Well, it's they buy kind the of a strat goal. and they don't. You know, it's so something they, that you can kind of aim at and work towards and they all move that. On to something else. But it's fun well, to well, have you know, a nice things, one of everything. One of the most commonly asked <laughs> questions is why old guitars, Joe? You know, it's like, I was like, listen, you can be a Squire Strat. Yep. DeVille, oh, yeah. Well, who do we know who plays a Squire Strat and kills it? Jack Pearson. Yeah. Kill, uh, you know, uh, Speaking, you know, we're talking cruise. about the blues cruises, you know, that we did before. Joe has introduced a lot of these people and trying to give a lot of these people a leg up and get them known to the guitar fanatic public and all that. And uh, I was, I, you know, I've been on the cruise and there's like 20 acts on there and I'm dead, you know, ready to go to sleep. I could barely walk and I walked by this one venue on the ship and this guy's just playing and I'm going, 
who the hell is this guy? And I had never really heard of him, you know, yeah. my, my bad. And um, I, I'm listening to him, and he's a great player and singer. And, uh, you know, one of my buddies leans over to me and says, you see what he's playing? I go, yeah, Strat. And, you know, we were standing kind of a little far back. He goes, that's a Squire Strat. That's like a $150, $200 guitar. Yeah. And I'm going, well, that pretty much blows everything that I've ever <laughs> stood for my whole life, you know. But you told everybody that story I when did. you came back. He wouldn't stop going on about this guy. And he goes, and he was playing a squire. So. He sat in with us two nights at the Ryman. Yeah. Because he sat in one night. And I said, like, Jack, you want to come back for the next night? Yeah, sure. So he brought both of his guitars. He brought the Squire Strat on the Friday, and he bought the, brought the Squire Telly on the, on the, <laughs> on the Saturday. And when we were doing Reese's record, he played on Reese's record. And I, just for show and tell, I brought down one of the, the Epiphone Amoses. Yeah. Um, Fantastic and they're guitars. Just, they're they're great guitars. Little yeah. did I know today of all days caused a little bit of controversy. Uh, I know. I, had to I, go, that. I, I, I like that. I, I had to remind some boutique guitar maker to shut the fuck up every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't right. mean to swear on this thing. But, I, but, but it, it bears repeating. Yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. I brought the guitar down and just had it in the room. And he was, he was on it. Yeah. Like he goes, what's this? And um, he goes, man, this is be. He, he goes, this would be great for my jazz gig. Can I get one? <laughs> and I said, Jack, you know what? How about this? Take it. Sure. <laughs> I said, I said, I'll. You can take it. And 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 I one on one condition. I said, I want a video and a picture of you playing a flying V at a jazz gig. He goes, so <laughs> next next week I get a picture. He's He's rocking the the Epiphone, playing straight up bebop. Really, with the V. With and a I go, V. I go, that's worth. Of a, course, a, a picture's worth a thousand words. And, I love this guy already. And he he's one of those once in a lifetime talents. I mean, like it, it, Jack also played with the Allman Brothers right. after Dickie left in '95. Um, you know, Jack is a, a, a national treasure. I'll tell you who else comes on our cruise on a regular basis. You had on the, on the podcast is is Josh Smith. Oh, um, Josh, we did yeah. a. Uh, a podcast with Josh. Now, again, of all the guitar players, you always say that there's one guitar player who scares the hell out of me. Right. Be Josh and uh, Kirk Fletcher. Kirk is another one. And, you know, it, so I, you know, on our boat, you know, a lot of some artists, like, I think, I don't know if they get rubbed the wrong way or whatever. They always ask, or they, they see me, they go, man, you always have Josh and Kirk and, 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 and stuff like that. How, how do, how do, how do you get invited on the boat? I go, well, it's nepotism. These are my friends. Yeah, I, I go, yeah, I go, right. These are guys you hang with. Charity starts at home. I mean, like I go, I go. The whole excuse of the boat, above and beyond the the, the charity event and and getting together and just doing it, is I get to for at least four or five days at a time. I get to hang with my friends, which yeah. I, n I never get to do. Which is nice, yeah. And we've had. I mean, I tell you, some of the standouts. Larkin Poe is always great. Chris um, Kane. Chris Kane. I'll tell you, I had never heard Chris play. I heard his name a few times. It was everybody in the boat was talking about Chris Kane, and, he, and he's just—he's just a monster. And have, have you got Eric Gales on this? We, we oh, Eric, we got Eric Gales, and, and and he's another monster. So, uh, he's so, another guy like Jack. I can just sit and watch for hours, mesmerizing. Yeah. We had uh, this, this past cruise, we had Peter Frampton, who was fantastic, oh, really? playing and singing is better than he's ever. I mean, it was the best Peter Frampton show I've ever seen. And I used to tour with and him. You're a humble pie fan, as well. Humble pie fan, yeah, and. Peter Frampton was great. Kenny Wayne Shepherd was great. Mm -hmm. um, Larkin Poe was great. I mean, Eric Gales killed it. So it was a really, you know, it's a good. It's Our a good, own Sarah Rogo. Sarah, Sarah Rogo's on uh, yeah. in the spring. You know, it's one of those things. It's it's if if you you know to me, it's like 
it's always good to put people out there in front of an audience um, that that you know they're, they're, obviously if, if you're going to come to a Joe Bonamassa blues cruise and you're not a Joe Bonamassa fan, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Okay, because you're going to get a free bobblehead, like it or not. Okay, <laughs> so, and a beach towel. So the thing is, it's like it, that's but funny. The, the concept there's room for everybody, and yeah. and you know my I know what my fans like they they like guitar and they like it loud and they like it electric. You know, so you know if you can you know help some of these artists at least expose them 2700 the people at a crack expose them to and a everybody different everybody it's, should hear josh smith because he's I, phenomenal he I is mean, incredible and kirk and all these guys that we talk there's one thing that i just wanted to talk about because i thought it was rather funny you had james hunter played two james times hunter and six. james hunter is like one of my favorites a, a yeah. buddy of mine you know came up to me who knows me real well and said, yeah, you ought to check this out. And I went, hey, you know, I'm not that crazy about a lot of the new music. He says, no, you need to you check this James. out. James yeah. Hunter is, his tunes are incredible. It's sort of like early 60s R&B, pre-Beatles. The guy is phenomenal, but he's such a nut and a funny character. Well, I'll never forget this. He's a this. character, yeah. Uh, he's setting up in the atrium to play, and they're doing a sound check. And he's got the, uh, you know, they're working on the vocal mics and stuff like that. And uh, Joe kind of hears that there's like a little too much high end or something like that. And Joe walks up to the sound guy and says, um, hey, man, could you kind of roll the highs off back a little bit? James Hunter didn't even know who Joe was. No. <laughs> and he goes, hey, who are you telling the sound guy? I said, this is the guy that put on the cruise right here. This is the guy you're working for. But he didn't get it. But he, James Hunter was so fantastic. He, and, yeah, he didn't recognize me in the green jumper. Yeah. <laughs> and and what, I actually, I had a good rap with him one time about uh, just, you know, I'm like, I'm like, where does this come from, James? Because he's British. Uh, and, I used to see him in London when he was called Howling Wilf. Yeah, and, and right, and, and, he, and he and he always plays this reissue Les Paul special, Les Paul special. special, and it's been re-necked. And I said, I said, wow, because because I, I was I played it. This was in San Jose. We did a festival gig, and he was showing me the guitar, and and and, and I go, I go, how did how did how, what happened to the original neck? Just making conversation. He goes, oh, I had to, I had to hit somebody over the head with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. You yeah, know? I mean, like, you know, so but he he's on our next one, and I think oh, he's on our next. I'm year. glad. And I you know would... what? The thing about James is is anything I do to help him, I really think he's a superstar in waiting. It just the, to me, that guy should be packing out performing arts centers and theaters all over the world. I agree. Because he's, the real, he's the real thing. The real Everybody thing. Yeah, that absolutely. I've turned on to James yeah. Hunter has gone bananas and loves him. I had one couple that went on the cruise. As soon as I told him James Hunter was going, yeah. we're on, you know, let me make the phone call and we get it. Um, you know, the guy uh, – and the thing is, is like his guitar sound is the anti-everything that most young people are looking mm -hmm. for for guitar. It's a very clean sound. He's got a wild – yeah, very yeah, wild, vibrato. Vibrato. and his rhythm playing is incredible. Yeah, and but the thing about James Hunter is, is that when you hear him play one measure, you know, you know that's it's James him. Hunter. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many guys that you go, well, you know, it sounds like you know 200 other guys. Right. This guy sounds like himself, and it's yeah, like hearing in, Ray in the same way, sing or Aretha Franklin sing. Yeah, or you the same yeah. way you hear John Lee Hooker play. It's, it's the same. King. It's the yeah. same thing. It's a real thing. What, but what, that's one of the nice things about your cruise and the way you pick the artists and, and mentioning people like Larkin Poe, yeah. who, if you haven't, they are phenomenal. Terrific. I mean, also, the real deal. Yeah. also Marcus the King. real deal. Marcus, Marcus King, King, yeah. King who's yeah. 
just Marcus fabulous. Marcus King is going to get too big to be on our boat because he's like he's like about to explode. I, I really hey, think he's he, unbelievable. I always thank him. I go, dude, dude, you know you're you're the heir apparent, man. You're 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 the future of this thing. I hey, said, man, just, can, what do you think about Kingfish? I think he's great. As yeah, well. I think I, you know both him and Marcus. Uh, you know that represents the future of this uh, of, of this well, be the we, new We've got a guy standing yeah. in this room who, uh, you know, um, right. he also won green the, jumper, uh, the also uh, a green jumper, yeah, guitar uh, blues contest at Guitar oh, Center. I don't discriminate against any other stores uh, they put on, and he won the contest. And yesterday he was in the store, and we were talking, and he told me he won the contest, and somehow Joe's name came up, and I said Joe's going to be here, and. Rob said his name is Rob Geringer, and Rob is playing with a lot of the top hip hop yeah. artists from Eminem to Cardi D to uh, um, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, you know, I mean, just on and on. He's the young guy, and this guy can really play. But you know, when I told him Joe Bonamassa was coming in, he went, "Oh, can I come in and meet Joe?" I said, "Come in, you can listen in on this podcast, and this kid can really play." Yeah, he's fantastic. And you heard his video. We did yeah, a couple the, videos. Yeah, and one of one of the things most encouraging is is I think at this point, I mean, you know, there's always a conversation of like guitar's dead, guitar's dead. It's really not. The the, the nowhere the, near, nowhere near, <laughs> and and the 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 amount of young people under the age of 25 that are out there. Shredding. I mean, like in all genres. Yeah, playing killer rhythm stuff. Playing. I mean, and the depth of knowledge that they have. Did you far surpass? Did you hear the had. video with the Stanley Brothers, the two twins? Yeah. yeah. Those kids can really play. Yeah. I mean, they came in when they were 13, when they were 14, when they recently, now they're 15, I mean, and they're really playing. I mean, they're playing voicings, they're playing, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, these kids are not just, you know, yeah. phoning it in. They're doing what, it. One of, the, one of the things, though, is, in my opinion, when I, when I began my solo career 25 years ago, um, you know, I've been, well, I've been doing this 30 years, but but I really, as a soul, as I dropped the smoking and now yeah. Joe Bottom also, <laughs> Um and there was a farm system in place, AKA places to play all yeah. around the country, you know, where if you drew 25, 30, 40 people, it kind of felt full and there were some tables and, and, Look. and, and you were able to go out on. It was like your proving ground. Well, it's also, it's also, you know, it, financially you can, you could work yourself from Los Angeles to New York and do 40 shows all through the country in this farm system. What I'm seeing now is a little bit disturbing is a lot of those places that I used to play in the late 90s and early 2000s are gone. They close or they just, you know, now they're Sephora's or Starbucks. And, you know, and, and the younger generation now, now what's becoming big, they're actually, they're throwing like, you know, gigs at houses, like, because there's no other places to play. House yeah, exactly. House party gigs. And I worry sometimes that there's not a farm system in place to really nurture young talent to where because you need a place to play. Yeah, not everybody can just you wake up and stage. go. I'm going to play yeah. the Greek theater. Well, yeah, yeah. there's going to be 40 people there, but yeah, you can even play if it. it's a six inch stage, it gives you a sense of what you're supposed to be. One doing. One of the things is 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 theory and reality. It's practical application of the things that you learn in your bedroom. Mm -hmm. Now there are a lot of um, Instagram guitar players, and they do they do or the YouTube bedroom stars very well, or yeah. whatever they yeah, but one of the one of the things is not talked about in in any of those applications is practical app applying it in terms of a band. Now you can sit there and play with a drum machine or a track mm -hmm. all day long. The minute you get there with a live drummer, 
and 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 it's like it's like it's like it's it, once it starts for real with a live drummer and a live band and it comes fast and furious in front of mm-hmm. an audience your chops get honed and you get a a different perspective of and you you improve as a player that's where your amazingly education starts. and 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 that's one of the things that worries me it's like it's like having this having the opportunity to to woodshed for the younger generation because it, it's it's that's a critical step and allowing them to get to this second third fourth tier and ultimately you know fulfilling what they the goals you know right. back back in the day i don't know i mean you i'm sure you experienced this but you know when guys tell me now i got a gig yeah it's one set it's like a showcase i go man when we used to play when I was younger, it was five or six sets a night, night, and you mm-hmm. had to repeat tunes. And you know, within a week, the band would get tight because I mean, you were like, because you got to play till two o'clock. Yeah. Now they're doing one set, and they think and they go, "Man, I'm so beat. That was such a great, you know." All right, they win a contest. You know, like, yeah, yeah. So well, what, they go, "Good, you're on again in 15 minutes." <laughs> well, how do you think these things got so beat up? You yeah, know? exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. It wore the neck out because you're playing. Two three sets tonight. Well, one of the one one of the one of the critical steps in 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 any career trajectory is is understanding pacing of a show. Yeah. Now, I can write a set list. We generally we do an evening with all our shows are evening with, and we start at eight o'clock. And generally by ten ten we're done. Yeah. Now I can write a set list. We play straight through, no break. I can write a set list. That makes those two hours and 10 minutes feel like 45 minutes. I've seen you do it. <laughs> I can also write a set list and have written set lists that make it seem like a perpetual march through the jungle, you know, <laughs> without any sign of food, water, or shelter. And that's, you know, it, it's it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a skill and it's yeah. a show and it's a, it, and it's, you could take a lot by watching a movie. Everything right. has an act one, an act two, and a finale. You know, what, like like how does you know you uh, act one James Bond Aston Martin Pretty Girl Act two Villain Eye Patch Monte Carlo act three, Casino no, Act Act yeah. three Girl Aston Martin now plot in twist. the air or some sort of oil slick the plot uh, twist yeah you know or some you know he's in a cage now it looks like he's done it, it's all it's all it's there there's one a of the methodology best paced shows I, I've I've seen was your last one at the uh, the Hollywood Bowl. Thank you. With with uh, that, I mean, your band is phenomenal. With how's Anton doing? Is his foot better? His foot is he's getting it. He'll be back I, in October. I, I mean, the the band were just such fantastic musicians in their own right. Uh, but the way you've obviously done that yeah. with all those players in mind, and it just worked so beautifully. And, and that was one of those shows that just I was like, where the hell did that two hours sp- go? Sp- spread the love around a little bit. Playing, yeah, yeah. playing with the same musicians. Over and Holy over Sarah. again is there's such a communication that you guys have yeah. with the band. He's got the finest players in the world. They're all great guys. I mean, everybody right. in your organization, from your manager Roy to Mike to you know everybody. You know, I yeah. mean, really cool. But using the same guys, I mean, that's quite a concept because most bands these days or whatever, every time you see them, it's a different right. thing. I mean, you have other setups, but you have your main band that you use all the time. Very lucky. I mean, this band has over 550 shows on it since 2015. When we, yeah. when we, we 14, 2014 is when, when the, the, the concept of the big band started. And so, you know, 500 gigs. Now, now one of the things about it is a band like that of the caliber of musicians is not cheap. 
it's incredibly expensive to tour the way I do. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, I mean, I know online I get a lot of a lot of crap about ticket prices, and and you know, and we try to keep them as reasonable as we can. You're carrying those giant trucks. I have and three all trucks, kind of yeah. big trucks, four buses, and the buses are full. But I mean, you know what? That band sounds expensive. But from Polly Sarah to Mahalia Barnes, it's, it's and, and, and and you know what? I to me, notch. I owe it to the fans to serve up the best gig. Yeah, start yeah, yeah. to finish. And, and, you know, I like also surrounding myself with players and musicians that are better than me. And, and, and yeah. I, cause I think it, it forces you to raise your game. You know, yeah. if you're the weak link, you're going to, you're going to tighten up quick, you know? And that's, that's, that's been the methodology. I mean, and, you know, I learned that from watching guys like Eric Clapton. I mean, Clapton always had Gad or Steve Ferroni, Nathan East, and, you know, Andy Andy low. Low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And top players. Top yeah. players. And you know what? It, it, you know, one of the things is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But you come away from a show like that seeing you've not just seen Eric Clapton, you've just seen absolutely one of the best bands as an ensemble you'll ever see, which is the thing you get at your shows as well, well which is really yeah. nice. And, and, it, I, and, it's, and it's, I try to do it. I try really try to do it. They're waving us off a little bit for time. So listen, I, I did want to talk way more about your live shows yeah. and about your vocals in particular, which is one of my favorite things. And a, a lot of musical stuff that you we're not going to get time for. Can we? I know you've got a plane to catch this we're afternoon. Have to do can, a part two. Can we two do a part this, two? You know, we'll do so. a part. Yeah, absolutely. When you're back in town, well, that'll be great. Well, the hardest thing I do, just to keep it short, um, the hardest thing I do on a weekly basis when I'm on tour is singing. It's, yeah, it's 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 so predicated on your general energy level. You know what you're feeling. You know, if, God forbid, if you had a head cold. Uh, you know, it, it 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 it's the hardest thing to maintain because of it's really indelibly linked to how your body's feeling. Now, yeah. five shows in. Now, if I'm feeling good, I sing all day long. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, if you're feeling bad, that's when it that's when you earn your money because at at the end of the day, you, if you're tired or if you well, mostly if you're feeling sick or ill, it Ugh. affects your your head voice. It affects your singing voice. And what you try to do is you just go. I just need to maintain this thing, and you you learn how to sing, you know, it, yeah. it's singing should be no different than talking only in pitch. And, and uh, you know, if you do it correctly and, and you channel the head voice, I, I, when I was 28, I used to be able to gargle Jack Daniels, smoke cigars, you know, <laughs> chase women. And, and that was all out, one evening. Knock it out in the evening. Yeah. And, and, and play a gig, you know, <laughs> and I started to lose my voice and, and I went to a vocal coach called, uh, his name is Ron Anderson. He's here in town. And, and Ron, basically said, okay, here's what, here's, here's what I can tell you. You don't know anything about singing, do you? I said, well, I was trained as a kid. It's like, you don't know anything about singing, do you? So for the next no. three or four years, I go there religiously. And I'm like, man, we're just doing the same scales every day. And all of a sudden it just clicked. And I go, I get it. And he, was, he, he helped me find what you call a head voice. And now the difference between 28 and 42, now I'm supposed to be able to sing I was, now, you, now is where you start ducking the melodies and you can't hit the high notes. I sing almost an octave higher now really? than I did when I was twenty-eight, wow. which is, which is, insane because it age should catch up to you and and it and it hasn't and, and I I one hundred percent owe owe it all to Ron Anderson well, and, a, and a great doctor here in town named Joe Sugarman, Doctor yeah. Joseph Sugarman, who is Frank Sinatra's ear, nose, and throat guy, and and. And he was the one, because I had nodule, and he goes, I'm not going to operate on you. You're going to go learn how to sing, and you're going to come back in six months. And I came back wow. in six months, and and it was gone. He goes, see, 
Now you owe me one hundred and seventy dollars. Thank you. <laughs> Copay. Well, they they did a fantastic thing because uh, one of the things talking about the last last time I saw you and uh, especially all the footage from the Beacon Theater. Your singing's getting so good, it also makes you forget about the guitar playing. <laughs> hey, listen. Hey, hey, hey listen. I, I, uh, that's why I got all those flashing lights, smoke machines, dancing <laughs> yeah. girls. I got to distract. That's a, it's, a, it's, a whole, it's a whole concept. Smoke of well, one thing that I do know is that um, I always wanted Joe and Richie Sambor to get together, and I know they were both in Barcelona. Randomly. And you guys awesome. got a chance to really get to know each other. Richie's a great guy. Great guy, you know, and, and fellow guitar geek, so we just kind of geeked out about gear and and you know so i you know he gave me some but you were smoking cigars i was right? I was, there you I, go I i've seen cigar. that many a time so i'm gonna be as i'm gonna report I, you my thing is is if i can't hit the high note the next day the cigars go so yeah. luckily since i've re, re picked up that the bad <laughs> habit i can hit the high notes and i'm like well yeah, nothing <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I, I, between the diet coke i gotta kill myself somehow yeah. Norm, thank you for having me, by the well, way. Well, let me tell you, thank you so much. And it's great hearing all these things from me. I just wanted to uh, throw one little anecdote in, is that Nick used to see when I used to play. And uh, when I was playing, you know, people would tell me, Norm, if I was in jail and I had, like, they were giving me, like, one day to the electric chair, I'd want to see it with you playing. And they would say that to me because they said, because every minute will seem like an eternity. <laughs> so I, that's my buddy Kenny Salton's line. I couldn't, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't resist. So, but anyhow, it's so, my honor. We're, yeah, and we're going to... Uh, I got to go work the floor. I'm going to do a guitar of the day for I, you now, and I'm going to go I'm gonna do some I know, and then you've got to get on a plane, right? So, plane so we got a part two this, uh, please. Yeah. Next time you're in town when you've got a little bit of time, because there's so much I, I want yeah, to... Yeah, that's hard, and you know, all these other we'll people. Do, we'll do another song. Yeah. So Thanks, guys. Uh, guys have to stay tuned. Remember that the podcast will be every Tuesday and the one week following the video will air exclusively on the All Guitar Network. So, um, you know, they're both free. You go to the wherever you get your podcasts, Apple or wherever you do that, you can get signed up for that. And uh, the All Guitar Network is free also. You just go to the App Store and sign up for that. So it's really a cool thing. And I'm so honored to have my buddy Joe. Yeah, I mean, I really much, feel Joe. like it's family. And, and I'm sorry, my nephew. And I'm sorry that I always bug you and say, Joe, would you do this? Would you do that? I and he covered. always accommodates. <laughs> He's like the best. So, and, and if you're out and you see that Joe Bonamassa is playing someplace, if you don't go to see him, you're missing the greatest, maybe that ever lived, oh, in my no, opinion, no. 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 And at his at it's the peak of his career. Sorry about the, uh, you know, blowing smoke, but it, I, I really believe it's true. I don't really think anybody can touch you for well, what well, the thank, style thank that you, you do. And uh, so you really need to go see Joe, and if you can make it on one of those blues cruises, it's fun, man, it's fun the greatest. Ride. So... Until next time, thank you guys. Love you guys for listening and watching. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, we'll see, we'll see you for thank part you. two. Cool. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please give us a good rating or else. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. <laughs>